Bible Church, how are you doing this morning? Well, if you are joining us for the first time or for the first time in a while, we have been making our way through 1 Corinthians all year long, taking breaks here and there so we don't get worn out uh, on one subject, one topic, and uh, we started a few weeks ago chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to finish chapter 15 this week. Chapter 15 is all about the resurrection. And Paul is having to write to the Corinthians to talk about the resurrection because there were some in Corinth who were saying that the resurrection is not possible, that it's not possible for people to come back to life, to, to have new bodies. And so Paul is writing to correct their thinking, and we see exactly what they're thinking in verse 12. And Paul says this, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? Now what Paul is saying is, look, how can you say that it's impossible for believers to be raised from the dead when we know that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead? And this morning we're going to come to the last section of 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says, look, hey, if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then, then what are we doing here? Because the reality is, without the resurrection... The Christian faith just goes down the drain. There's nothing left. That's, that's the linchpin of everything. That if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then he wasn't really who he said he was, and he didn't really do what he said he was going to do. He wasn't really the Son of God, and he didn't really pay the penalty for our sins. The resurrection is the evidence that Jesus was who he says he was and did what he said he was going to do. And so Paul's kind of arguing with them, and he says, hey, uh, we've got to understand that there is a resurrection. Jesus is the first to be raised in this type of resurrection. I know we have stories in the Old Testament of people who were raised, and we have the story of Lazarus who was raised, but the reality is all of those people died again. And the resurrection that we're talking about is raised to a new life and new body that will never die, never decay again. The second part of their argument we see Paul address in verse 35, which is where we're going to start this morning. Paul says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body... Uh, what kind of body will they have when they come? So Paul, the, part of the struggle for the Corinthians is they're trying to figure out like, what does it look like for someone to be raised from the dead? Because everything they experience is very similar to what we experience. We have a body. Uh, it starts getting older. It starts going downhill. And it dies. You put it in the ground and it decays. And so they're kind of thinking like, what... What kind of resurrection is this? Is this some sort of night of the living dead? Like we get, you know, these these half decayed bodies that are raised to life? Like that just doesn't make sense to us. And so rather than think something like that, we're just going to say that there's there's no resurrection of, of the body. And what they don't realize is that that God is greater than than what they could possibly imagine. I mean, in their minds they're thinking, hey, all right, so God raises our old bodies to life. He somehow restores them. They're just going to get old and decrepit and decay again. And so Paul says, hey guys, let me explain to you what's, what's going to happen in the resurrection. Up till this point, Paul has been defending the resurrection. Now he's going to explain how it works. And then he's going to tell them the implications of what the coming resurrection mean for their lives. Now, most of us have, have lived long enough that we understand that this idea of the resurrection should be, should be relevant to all of us, because we all experience the same thing. And, and I believe that there's a, a number of different stages that we go through in our life. We know that from birth till like age 25, our bodies are growing. 
and they're getting stronger and they're getting better. We go through our teen years and we finally grow into that nose. We finally grow into our legs and things start to come together a little bit more and more and then we just get stronger and we get better and then something happens in your mid-20s till what I hear is like maybe into your 50s, like early 50s where you think uh, this stage is the denial stage, right? Where you think, I can always get back there. I could always lose a few more pounds. I could just apply a little bit more wrinkle cream and I could get back to where I was as a teenager in my early 20s in college. And, and you're just in that denial phase. I'm still in that phase right now uh, myself. And, and I know I'm in it, which is the hard part. It's like I know I'm, I'm not getting any better, but I still have that hope that maybe a few more miles or a few more crunches will get me there, uh, looking like the cover of Men's Fitness. But part of me knows that's not going to happen. But then, finally, you, you exit out of your 40s into acceptance. When you just say, you know what? It's not getting any better than this. It is what it is. Today is the best day that it's going to be. And the reality is that it hits every single one of us. It hits every single one of us. And, you know, we come to a point in our lives where we realize it's just not going to get any better than this. And the beautiful thing is that it does happen to all of us. I can remember when I was in high school, uh, there, was, there was a guy that all the girls, like they, they fawned over him, high school, first, first part of years of college. And some of you may remember guys like Robert Redford, Paul Newman, uh, you know, like older generation. I love old movies. So these are like Steve McQueen, like the king of cool. He is one of my icons. And uh, you know, you have these guys in every generation. And in my generation, one of those guys was Prince William. And, I mean, the dude's a prince. Look at that hair. I mean, he looks like he just stepped out of, out of a, a fashion shoot. And, but here's the beautiful thing. Like, I could never keep up with him. I'm never going to have as much money as him. But guess what? He got old, too. He's got a good look, don't you think? Age caught up with him. We both have the same issue, like we're both losing my hair, and so for a moment I can look at that and say, yeah, he may be the prince, he may be a king someday, but he's, he's in as bad a shape follically as I am. It makes me feel good for just a minute, and for just a minute I could say, you know what, maybe things will be all right for me, right? We get to that point and we say, hey, it, this hits us all. This hits us all. It doesn't matter if you're the, the king or prince of England, uh, age is going to catch up with you. And so it should give us hope as we talk about the resurrection. And the reality is that the resurrection, most of us put it in the category of faith. But as we saw earlier in chapter 15, we've got to understand that, that every religion has their idea of what happens after death. And we, we put this in the category of faith. But as Paul has shown in, in the first part of chapter 15, that the resurrection is not a matter of faith, but it's a matter of fact. It's a matter of truth. I mean, you, you had the, the Greeks who were trying to shut down the Christians because they thought the resurrection, this idea of resurrection was stupid. You had the Romans who were persecuting. You had the Jews who hated the idea of Christianity and wanted it gone. And all they had to do was find the people that were testifying, that were witnesses to the resurrection, and either, either prove that they were lying or produce a body. And the whole Christian faith goes away. And they couldn't do it. In fact, we know that many of those witnesses would give their lives proclaiming the resurrection. And Paul, in the first part of chapter 15, he says, go talk to these witnesses. Paul's writing in about 50 to 55 AD. The, the resurrection happened in about 20 years earlier. 
So most of the people that saw Jesus raised from the dead, experienced or resurrected Jesus, were still alive. And so Paul tells them, hey, go talk to him. The brothers of Jesus were not believers. They didn't believe he was the Messiah before his death. But after his resurrection, they believed what happened. They experienced a resurrected Jesus. Peter experienced a resurrected Jesus. Over 500 at one time, Paul himself. And so we have evidence that the, the resurrection is not just something we have to accept on faith, but we know that it was fact. That it actually happened that Jesus in time and space existed, that he lived, that he died, and that he was raised from the dead. And that should get, give every single one of us hope. That if God could raise Jesus Christ from the dead, and that Jesus promises that we too will be raised from the dead, that it will happen. Now, I want us to, to look first, as we begin chapter 15, I want us to understand some things about the resurre- resurrection. And the first is that our resurrection body has continuity to the old, but it experiences transformation to the new. There's continuity to the old, but there's transformation to something new. Okay, Let's look at verses 35 and 36. Let's just pick up in 35, but some of you will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they, come, will they have when they come? Foolish one, Paul says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Okay, so what is Paul saying here? Now, when he uses the word foolish, it's a very important word. It's an extremely important word because if you go back to Psalm 14.1, the psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So Paul, when he calls the Corinthians foolish, those who are denying the resurrection, he's saying to deny the resurrection is to live in a world where you deny that God exists. Think about that for just a moment. To deny the resurrection is to deny God himself. So Paul says it's foolish. It doesn't matter how many PhDs you have. It doesn't matter how smart you think you are, how how high you're in your iq is or how well you do on your finals if you live in a world where you deny god and you deny the possibility that that god could raise someone from the dead scripturally speaking that is a foolish idea paul goes on and he says in verses 37 through 38 he says and as for what you sow are you not sowing a future body but only a seed perhaps of wheat or any other grain but God gives it a body as he wants, and to each seed its own body. So what he's saying is he's using agriculture. He's saying, look, when you plant a seed, that seed does not look anything like what's going to happen. You, you take that seed and you put it in the ground. So for all intents and purposes, that seed is dead and buried. But what happens is that seed starts to grow roots, it grows a stalk, and then it grows leaves. And it starts to become something different, something bigger and greater than what you put into the ground, something more beautiful. I don't know if you've looked at grain lately, but it's not very beautiful. But have you ever driven by a wheat field when it's fully grown? I mean, that's the kind of thing that people write song lyrics about. Amber waves of grain. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Something I could look at all day. And so Paul's saying, hey, It's going to be, there's going to be continuity. It's going to be similar, but it's not going to be exactly the same. It's not going to be exactly like what you think. The new plant comes from the old seed, and we know that this transformation happens because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. When he was raised from the dead, he experienced 
a new body. There was something different about him. In fact, even his closest followers, when they first meet him after the resurrection, they don't immediately recognize him. They know it's a person. They know it's a body. But they don't recognize it to be Jesus. And it's only after a little while of spending time with him that they, they know that it's Jesus. They begin to understand that it's Jesus himself. And we know that it was a physical body because we see Jesus doing some amazing things. We see Jesus eating. We see Thomas touching him. We see all these things that happen. And so what we realize is that what will come will be similar, but it will be different. Let's keep looking at verses 39 through 40. Paul says, Not all flesh is the same flesh, for there is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. He's talking about uh, stars, planets, moons, things like that. Heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly bodies. Okay? He says, There is the splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. For one star differs from another star in splendor. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. So Paul says, look, God is able to create animals. He's able to create humans. He's able to create all these different things. Why is it so hard to believe that he could create a new resurrection body? It's not that big of a leap to believe that he could create a new resurrection body. So what we see is that God is able to make these different bodies. And Paul's now going to move to give us a little bit of a description of what we can expect in our resurrection bodies. In verse 42, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. So Paul is kind of comparing and contrasting the two different bodies, the one we have now and the one we will have when we experience the resurrection. First, he starts with uh, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Some translations may say buried in corruption. The reality is that this body that we live in is perishable. It's corruptible. It's going to decay. But the new body that we receive when we are raised from the dead will not decay. It will not experience decay. It won't get older. Can I get an amen? There won't be any pains. There won't be anything like that. It's not going to perish. It's going to be uh, sustainable. It's going to be incorruptible. He goes on and he says, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. What is this idea of dishonor? Dishonor has to do with the idea of embarrassment. And not embarrassment like I tripped and fell, uh, but embarrassment about our own sin. Paul's saying our, our new bodies are going to be incapable of sin. They won't be able to sin. We're never going to sin in our new bodies. And, and I don't know about you, but I've got plenty of experience embarrassing myself because of my sin. One happened just yesterday. My boys were arguing, complaining, crying about something. Most arguments are just... It's just stupid arguments over stuff that doesn't matter, right? And so as the dad... In my position of, of honor and glory, I'm going to enter into this and I'm going to talk some sense into my eight-year-olds about why their arguing is stupid and they just need to give it up. And so I go and I pull them aside and I'm ready to lay out my wisdom that I have. And 
it's not a minute into that that I'm losing my temper and I'm like in the middle of the stupidness and I'm embarrassing myself in front of my boys because I'm losing my temper because I'm so frustrated at this arguing. Paul says in the resurrection, that's not going to happen. We're not going to embarrass ourselves with sin because our bodies will be incapable of sin. He goes on and he says, sown in weakness, raised in power. Now I know some of you are here Maybe you're in high school or college, 17, 18 years old, and you're thinking, weakness? Man, you ought to see the size of my biceps. I am indestructible. And you think that for now, but let me challenge you. Let's just, let's just put you in a plastic bag for two minutes. Cover your head with a plastic bag for two minutes and see how strong you are. All it takes is just a few minutes without oxygen and you're dead. There's certain parts of your body where if you just get the smallest nick that's in the right place and it's just deep enough, you'll bleed out in less than a minute. Our bodies are weak. Our bodies are frail. Do you know that you can actually, you can break your neck and die just from falling on your head from a standing position? Like, our bodies are that weak. Our bodies are weak, but the beauty is that in the resurrection, our bodies will no longer be weak. They won't have the sickness, the illness, the different things that we experience in this life. They will be strong. They'll be stronger than we could ever imagine. And then finally, Paul says, uh, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean it's, it's not physical? No, Paul is, is saying that it's physical. It's going to be a little bit different, though. We will have a physical body. We know this because we know Jesus was able to be touched. He was able to eat food. And it wasn't like in the cartoons, you know, where the ghost drinks the water and it just goes on the floor. It wasn't like that. Like, it stayed in his body. He was able to eat in front of his disciples. They were able to touch him. But we know it was different because he was also able to just kind of appear in a room. We don't know how he did that, but we just know that it was different. So let's, what does this mean, the difference between the natural and the spiritual body? Keep looking with me at verses 44 and following. He says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made of dust, so are those who are made of dust. Like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. So what is Paul saying? He's saying when Adam walked this earth, his focus was on earthly things. When Jesus came, Jesus represents those who would put their trust in Jesus Christ, those who would put their trust in God for their salvation. He is the new Adam. And Jesus' whole focus was how to please and bring honor and glory to the Father. When Adam walked the earth, he was concerned about things like, how do I protect myself? How do I get shelter? How do I get food? But when Jesus walked the earth, his entire focus was on, how do I please my heavenly Father? And so Paul's saying that right now in, in your bodies, you're worried about the things of this world. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you'll wear. Right? That's what Jesus tells us. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. 
See, Jesus had, had his focus completely on the Father, how to honor him and how to please him, while we get caught up in stuff like, who's going to fix this problem with property tax? Like, who's going to fix that so my property taxes don't go up every year? Who's going to fix the, the problem with our political system? Who's going to fix this? Who's going like, to make dinner? I don't know about you, but that's a big deal in my house. Like, all right, what's for dinner? That, that consumes more time than I like to admit. Every single day we worry about the stuff of this earth. What's my, where's my next meal? What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? The reality is as long as we're in this, these bodies, that will continue to be a concern for us. But Paul says... When Jesus comes, when we're resurrected, we won't have those concerns. Our only concern will be about pleasing the Father just as it was with Jesus. Now, I know some of you are asking, well, so what's this new body going to look like? I mean, like, am I going to have the same nose? Is it going to maybe be a little bit thinner? Is it hopefully going to have a full head of long, flowing, luscious hair? Like, what's this body going to look like? And to, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you this. It's going to be an upgrade, right? It's going to be better than what you've got right now. And you're going to love it, and everyone else is going to love it too. That's all, that's all I can tell you, is that you're going to like it, and everyone else is going to like it as well. So uh, don't worry about that. All you need to know is that it's going to be an upgrade. It's going to be better than what we have now. And I know the next question we have is, all right, so Paul's talked about those who die, and they'll be raised, but... But what about those who, who don't die? What about those who, who are still alive when Jesus comes back? And I'm glad you're, you're asking that question because Paul, I think, knew you were going to be asking that question. And he says this in verse 50. He says, Brothers, I can tell you this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. He's saying, hey, you're not going to get to heaven without a new heavenly body. Right? You're not going to get in because the body you have right now is not fit for heaven. Okay? So then he goes on. He says, Listen, I'm telling you a mystery... We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For the incorruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this, this uh, mortal must be clothed with immortality. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, when Jesus comes, we don't have to worry. When the rapture happens, we don't have to be afraid because we will be taken up. We will be given new bodies. All right? So we don't have to worry about that. The rap when the rapture happens, those who are dead in Christ will be raised. Those that are alive at the time will be uh, given their new bodies. And I know there's, there's all questions about how's the rapture going to happen, when's it going to happen, how do things happen at the end times, and, uh, you know, man, we could spend like a year and a half just talking about that and my hope for you is this, that, that you would read Scripture, that you would look at Scripture, and, and that you would be able to understand some things from Scripture, but don't get so caught up in the end times. Uh, that's, I think that's one of the things that tends to happen. It's like, when's this going to happen? How's it going to happen? All these things I think it's good for us to know about. Uh, but you know, when we start talking about premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, all these different things, I tell people it's best if we're just a pan-millennialist. Like, it'll all pan out in the end. Uh, it's one of those things that we just, we just can't say for sure exactly how it's going to happen. But I can tell you this. This is what I do know. Jesus left us with the Great Commission. He says, go make disciples. 
right? And what I believe Jesus' intent for us is that we would grow in our relationship with him and that we would help others grow, that we would help others come to know Jesus Christ and grow in their relationship with him. So here's what I believe about the end times. Jesus has told us that our job, the way we prepare for the end times, is we prepare ourselves and we prepare others for his return, right? If we're doing that, then do the details of how, when, where, what, do they really matter? Do they really matter? And here's the reality. Every single one of Jesus' disciples thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, and every single one of them was wrong. So at the end of the day, does it really matter if we're, if we're right on how things happen? Does it, is it really worth our time to like, come up with these schemes about, hey, this is, this is where this is going to happen, and this is where this is going to happen, and this is what this looks like, and I read this news story, and that tells me that this is happening? Yeah, we should be aware of what's happening in our world, but don't let it consume you. Just know Jesus is coming back. Are you prepared? Are you helping others prepare? I think that's a... I think that's a good, healthy approach to thinking about what's going to happen in the end times. The next thing I want us to see is this, that our hope of the resurrection takes the sting out of death. Look at verse 53 and following. He says, For this corruptible must be, must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When, the, when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immorality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is what I want us to see, is that the hope of the resurrection takes the sting out of death. Death is the place that we all dread. It's the thing that we all dread. And Paul says that, that the sting of death. When he uses that word, the sting, what he's talking about is like a, a venomous spider or a snake bite or, or a scorpion. And what happens is when they bite you or they, they sting you, the poison, the venom begins to invade your body. And it's this idea of it's continually spreading throughout your body until you die. So what is the sting of death? The sting of death is sin. And Paul is saying that because we have all chosen to sin, that sin has invaded our bodies. It has invaded our lives. It's spread throughout. And that is the very thing that, that poisons us and that leads us to death, just as God promised Adam and Eve back in the garden. And so it begins to pollute our body, and it's the curse of death that God pronounced on this world as a result of sin. And Paul says that the power of sin is the law, comes from the law. What does he mean by that? I think it means two things. First is that the law incites rebellion. Like, I didn't think about my neighbor's stuff until the law told me, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. All of a sudden, I, I start reading the law and I realize, you know what? My neighbor has a nicer car than I do and I really like that car. I wish it was mine. And we, we start seeing these things that Paul says, hey, the, the law incites us to sin. There's, there's a story about, uh, I believe it's in Hawaii. There's a very famous hotel there, and they have this balcony that, uh, I mean, you're just, you're on top of the cliffs, and you're looking down, and the water's right below you. 
And this man goes to this, this beautiful hotel and he sees on the balcony, you headed out to the balcony, there's a sign that says, please no fishing from balcony. And he's like, no fishing from, we're like three stories up. Who is fishing from, from here? And so he asks, he's like, so do you guys really have a problem with people fishing? And the people at the hotel said, we didn't until we put the sign up. Because that put the idea in people's head of, hey, I could fish from here. And parents, if you've got kids, you know this. Hey, don't touch that. What happens? This right here? Don't touch this? Don't touch this? Because those rules, they, they do something in us that leads to rebellion. And parents, I want to encourage you, uh, as you are raising your kids, you know, what tends to happen, and I'm guilty of this from, from time to time, is that we give our kids a set of rules and they start breaking it. So we pile on more and more and more rules. And yes, we need rules in our families. But as we're piling on more and more rules, we're just creating more and more chances for our kids to rebel and disobey. And so sometimes when we see our kids rebel, we don't need more rules. We need more relationship. We need deeper relationship because that's exactly what God did with us. He didn't create more rules. He created a deeper relationship so we see that the law incites sin, but it also accuses us. So when the law says, don't covet your neighbor's stuff, and I look out and I covet my neighbor's stuff, well, the next thing the law says, well, now you're guilty of coveting your neighbor's stuff. So the law also accuses us. We're condemned, but the reality is that Jesus stepped in. In verse 57, we read that Jesus, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, the very place where death is meant to be victorious where death is supposed to win, where death says, Satan says, hey, I've taken this image of God, this body that was created in the image of God, and I've corrupted it. I've helped it be corrupted through sin. And now because of that sin, it's going to die. And the image of God is destroyed. Satan thinks for a moment, I've won. And Jesus steps in and says, not so fast. The very place where death is supposed to win is where we see that Jesus is victorious, that God is victorious, and in, it's in death, in passing from this life, that we're raised to new life, and the victory comes. The victory comes. It's in the act of death's power that the power of the gospel shines through. The last thing I want us to see is what Paul tells us is the result what is the result? We know what's going to happen in the resurrection. We know we're going to have new and better bodies. We know that even if we don't die, that Jesus will give us new bodies and we will we'll enter into heaven with these new incorruptible bodies that won't be stained by sin and sickness anymore. So now comes the so what. So what? Paul says this in verse 58. He says, Therefore, Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what is Paul's so what? What is his therefore? He says, because we know that the resurrection is happening, because we know that this is going to happen, because we know that we have victory, he says, the, be steadfast and immovable, always doing, always excelling in the Lord's work. Well, what is the Lord's work? We just read about it. It's the redemption of man. It's the redemption of man. So when Paul says, get busy, excel in the Lord's work, it means that we are to be bringing people into relationship with Jesus Christ, that our focus ought to be on the gospel, on how do we share Jesus with people? How do I take everyday conversations 
that are about temporal things, about what are we going to eat and what are we going to do and what are we going to wear. And we interject a bit of eternity into that. God says that we need to be focused on our friends, our families, and co-workers and show them that they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ because He has forgiven our sins, that there is salvation in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, that He rose from the dead. If you want to have life, if you want to have life, you have to enter into the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ and have the hope of the new life, the new body. That's what gives us the greatest life here and now. And I know at times it seems overwhelming. It seems hard of, of how do I do this? How do, I, how do I go to my workplace and just say, hey, have you thought about heaven and the resurrection lately? Like, I don't see that going very well. But at our house, we, have, uh, we kind of have a cycle that we work through as a family, and Mondays is Mission Monday. And our mission as a family, the Turner family mission, is to glorify God by being worshipers, witnesses, servants, and disciple-makers. And so every Monday night, we talk about what is our mission as a family? What does it look like for us to make disciples? That's what we landed on this last week. And so we were talking to our kids about how do we witness and how do we, how do we make disciples wherever we go? It's not just something we do on Sunday mornings, that it's a part of our lives. And so I asked them, like, what's something you could do at school to make disciples? And so we just kind of talked about that as a family. And, and they said, well, what if we just asked someone if we could pray for them? I said, that's great. It starts the conversation. You know, you see somebody who's having a bad day, having a rough day, and you just say, hey, can I pray for you? Or a coworker that maybe you're close with, you're in the coffee break, you're having your coffee break, and you're like, hey, how can I pray for you this week? Well, anything I could be praying for you. It's, it's that simple. And I love our little four-year-old. She has the most boldness of anybody I've ever seen. Twice in the last three weeks, she shared the gospel with adults. Like, we're out. We were getting our passports for the, the Mexico mission trip for the triplets, and the man who's helping us fill out the paperwork and having to sign it, she comes over and she pulls on my pants, and she goes, Daddy, can I tell them about Jesus? I'm like, no. <laughs> of course. I said, go ahead. And she goes, do you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he raised from the dead? And he's like, you know, I did know that. And then she was with my wife earlier this week. They go to HEB on Wednesdays after their Bible study and they wait to go pick up the big kids. So they have lunch there and they're having lunch and she just goes over to this lady and she goes, did you know that Jesus loves you? Did you know that he made you? She said, yeah, I did know that. But she just walks up to people and some people have that. And some of us, it's a little bit more difficult. But I think all of us can be a little bit more intentional about how do, I, how do I just interject just a little bit? Is there a neighbor that I could just talk to? Maybe catch him out in the yard and just say, hey man, I, I'm headed to my small group tonight. Is there anything we could pray about for you? How can I pray for you? That's, that's a great place to start. And then follow up with them and say, you know, I've been praying about your job situation. I've been praying about your illness. How's that going? How's that going? We have to understand that because death has been defeated, because Christ has given us victory, we have the hope of the gospel, and the hope of the gospel is something that God intends for us to share. And we have to remember that our labor is not in vain. I love that Paul says that your labor is not in vain because at times we feel like, well, they, they said no, they wouldn't let me pray with them. Or I shared the gospel and they didn't even want to listen. But Paul says that our labor is not in vain. 
And we have to realize that the results don't depend on us and they don't reflect on us. Because there's, there's three things at play. There's God's part, there's our part, and there's their part. And God holds us accountable for the conversation, not for conversions. God's desire is that we would just be having the conversation and then it's up to Him to work in their life. And it may be a week, a day, or years that they wrestle with God. And it may be something we never see and it may be something that never happens. But our faithfulness matters and our faithfulness will be rewarded. C.T. Studd said this. He said, one, Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done, and when at last I'll hear the call, I'll, I'll know, I, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you remember all the way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read about how the things that we do in this world will be tested as through fire. And it's only those things that we have done for Christ that will last the other reality that I want us to remember is that every single person will last for all eternity. It's just a matter of where they will spend that eternity. So the investment that we make in other people in the name of Jesus Christ will last for all eternity. One of my favorite movies when I was in high school and college was Gladiator. And I remember one of the things that, that they say in this movie that's always sticks with me. He says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And I know that was not a Christian movie, not anything close to that. But that thought has always stuck with me that what I do in this life can echo throughout all eternity when I'm seeking to bring honor and glory to my Heavenly Father and when I'm reaching out to others and inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we close this morning, I just want to challenge you Maybe you're here this morning and you've never begun a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know what it means to experience the freedom from your sins, the freedom from that weight. Maybe you're anxious about death because you're not certain about what's on the other side. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, we would love for you to take your connection card and check the box that says, I want to know more about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. Even if you still have questions, you can come find me, you can find Stephen or any of our elders. I'll be at the connection tables. We would love to try to answer any questions you have and just walk this journey with you. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're feeling like, you know, I really, I do want to make an investment in other people for their eternity's sake. I want to be able to share Jesus Christ with them, but I'm just not sure how to do that or I'm anxious or I've been praying with somebody. I've been praying for someone and I just want the elders to pray with me. You can always mark that on your connection card. You can always come talk to us. We're happy to walk with you and pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just overwhelmed with gratitude for what God's done in your life. Maybe you just want to take that next step. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I know that I have more that I need to learn, that I need to, to grow in, to walk with Jesus, to live out the reality of my hope, and I would love some help in taking those next steps. You can mark that on your connection card as well this morning. But my prayer for us is that we would live in the hope of the resurrection and that as we live with that hope, that we would be calling others, inviting others in to experience that hope of the resurrection with us. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today. Lord, we, we do praise you and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that at the cross, he gave us victory, and that through death, we are victorious, because he did not stay dead, but he was raised.